Hey, welcome to Questions from the Pew, Season 4. I'm Rikers Alameda. I'm Lucas Manning. Hey, we're happy to have you here. Uh, we have a little bit of a preseason episode here for you. Yeah, you want to maybe set it up a little bit, Luke? Um, maybe why we're releasing this yeah, particular sure. episode? Yeah, so we'll be going into a series called The Bible Tells Me So, uh, Revisited. Because we actually talked about this in our season zero. Season um, zero. Wow. Way back in, I don't even know, 2017 or something like that? Must have been. Who knows? Many years ago. Um, So we figured we'd have you listen to this conversation. Our views and, um, you know, kind of how we approach the Bible has changed over time, evolved, grown. Nuanced, Um, yeah. Nuanced, yeah. So, uh, so. It's still a good intro, uh, but we'll have some kind of closing comments for you at the end with kind of, you know, a little bit uh, more seasoned view of these things. Um, and then we'll get into, you know, kind of the nitty gritty once the actual season starts in July. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So without further ado, here's part one of The Bible Tells Me So. The Bible. For some, it's only a great piece of literature. For others, the claim is more audacious. Truth. Christian traditions, to one degree or another, regard the Bible as a reliable source of it. But in the face of critical scholarship, modern science, and historical discoveries, does the Bible really hold up? Literary scholarship places the Bible in the same category as other works of literature. Scientific theories chip away at a young earth creationist worldview. The ongoing quest for the historical Jesus claims to undermine the trustworthiness of the Gospels. Like the creedal statements of the past, the church has attempted to clarify its view on the Bible. While most would deem this act as a necessity, others would say that it is a futile effort, one that has done more to separate Christians from the world instead of driving them to cultural engagement and transformation. One that has driven Christians from their faith in the Bible, its reliability, and its authority in their lives. Are both Christians and non-Christians treating the Bible as something it isn't? What claims does it actually affirm and assert? How can Christians hold a view of the Bible that maintains its authority without undermining the scientific and historical claims of modern scholarship? All that and more on this edition of Questions from the People. Welcome to another installment of Questions from the Pew, the intersection of faith and culture. We're your hosts, Rikard Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. <laughs> Just chomping on a sandwich here. Hey, you get lunch in when you can. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I guess we can, we'll dive right in to the topic. Yeah, it sounds good the to Bible. me. The Bible. I don't know any other way. Yeah, except jump it. To be happy in Jesus. But do trust and obey. <laughs> Bringing it back to Sunday school here on Questions from the Few. Anyway. Yeah, so we're talking about the Bible today. Mm-hmm. Specifically, it's, yeah, it's authority. Mm, interesting. Like, um, I remember the, uh, as the title of the podcast suggests, I remember the old Sunday school song. That's a Sunday school song, right? For the yeah. Bible. Yeah. For the Bible but tells me so. What is that song? Jesus loves me. Oh yeah, it is That's Jesus it loves is. me. Oh wow. Yeah. 
just a song everybody yeah. learns. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, that's what we're we're trying to talk about is to what extent does the Bible, I guess, to what what is its reach? Where does it what does it talk about? Um, what does it speak to? Who is it speaking to? But yeah, I guess more specifically, uh, that question that we've posed of authority versus accuracy, mm-hmm. like is is authority based on the exactness of the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it based on something yeah. else? So, I mean, that's kind of what we're taking up. Hopefully, uh, I mean, hopefully both, obviously this is a very important topic for Christians to take up because mm-hmm. if we if we do believe that the Bible, um, you know, to be the word of God, that kind of thing, obviously it's going to direct our lives. That kind of thing. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, no, I get what you're saying. But then obviously, you know, for non-Christians, I mean, maybe this is a look underneath the hood a little bit. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, uh, you know, maybe maybe you've said, like, you know, what's going on with these Christians in the Bible. Yeah. It's an yeah. old book. So hopefully mm-hmm. we can, I guess, at least present the thinking around the Bible um, mm-hmm. and and why it's viewed yeah. a certain way and hopefully dispel some misunderstandings or maybe uh, misconceptions about what certain, what certain doctrines right. are and that kind of thing. Because right. I think sometimes there's some language used that's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think at minimum both Christians and non-Christians alike can agree that the Bible, again, at bare minimum, is a great piece of literature. Christians would agree on that, and I'd say most non-Christians would mm-hmm. agree mm-hmm. on that. I think there, obviously, there are some critics um, that that are lumped up, uh, lumped up in that, but for the most part, even non-Christians would say it's a great piece of literature. It's a literary work. Um, so we have that going for us. Mm-hmm right? Mm -hmm. And you don't get, a book doesn't last this long without it. There's got to be something, at least something special about it. Right, right. Whether that's literary genius Mm -hmm. or, you know, something more. But obviously for for Christians, it's much more because we believe that it's the way in which God has revealed himself. Right. Yeah, definitely. So obviously there's, there's differing views. Um, I guess kind of the the a place to start is the nature of the Bible. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, I've heard this, uh, you know, from varying different people who talk on this issue. They talk about uh, Christians want to make it uh, make the Bible golden tablets from the sky. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, they say that you know it's God breathed and this is God writing to us, God's love letter to us. I'm not saying that those are necessarily bad metaphors, but <laughs> maybe they are. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Anyway, another time, another time. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so when it comes down, we think that, you know, God is writing this to us. So we can, we can just sit here, especially in our context, our 21st Mm -hmm. century context and go, oh, I see what's going on here and I see what, what's happening. Um, And so then because we're sitting in a a specific context um, and obviously the Bible is written in another context, Mm -hmm. when we see things that we don't understand or doesn't reconcile in the way we think about things. Often it can be either you could say that's a contradiction or, um, or if you're kind of just blindly following, you can say, Oh, well then that must mean this. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, really off. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah, I would say right. sometimes Christians, we, maybe we don't quite have the context for what we're reading. Mm-hmm. So then in a, in an effort to reconcile, we make some jumps right. that maybe don't necessarily need to be right. made if we had a little more. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of things that, 
that are that should be assumed but aren't addressed so for example the fact that the bible was written over you know 1600 1400 1600 years mm. right or the fact that we're thousands and thousands of years removed from the accounts and even the fact that we we don't write like like the way that uh that the biblical authors mm-hmm. wrote in so we try we try to read an eastern text mm. from a very western mm-hmm. point of view mm-hmm. and that's where i think most of the um most of the troubles come mm-hmm. when you get these supposed contradictions and right and whatnot. Right. Well, that's a so we're obviously reading like a post enlightenment style mm-hmm. of thinking back onto an ancient text, mm-hmm. um, and so obviously when that happens, yeah, I mean it's 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 really hard to to get out of your lens. Actually, I don't. I mean, I would say it can't really happen all the way. You can do your best to be unbiased and to like get context, but at the end, you know, at the end, you're still, you're still a product of your culture. Here's an interesting thing that I'm going to inject into this because it has ramifications for this, but also just our podcast in general. So basically, human beings obviously have the biggest noggins comparatively to like our bodies um, and comparatively to the birth canal. So obviously we, we come out and we're the most dependent of all like species here on earth so obviously when a cow gets born or a calf i should say they come out and they start walking they start doing their thing a deer you know all these things they kind of come out and they know what to do and it's called like instinct right so they have these like pre-built things that they already know what to do when they come out of the Mm -hmm. like when they come out of the womb humans obviously aren't like that we come out and we're we're almost not human it's like what like we don't know anything of what we're doing we're entirely dependent 100 percent dependent um, and so the interesting thing is that our culture, our culture is our instinct, like an, is our, mm-hmm. our instinct. So yeah. basically it teaches us how to be human. Mm-hmm. So when we grow up in a certain culture, um, obviously we're dependent and we grow up in it. That is like how you behave as a right. human. Like that's how you That's act. how you think. Right. That's how you think. Yeah. That's, you're so ingrained in it that it feels innate. Mm-hmm. It feels as if it's instinctual yeah. because it almost is. You're being yeah. taught from a young age that this is, yeah. this is how you live. Yeah. And anything other than that is, is difficult. Right. Right. Because, yeah. Exactly. So that feels unnatural. Exactly. Often. So that's where when, when you hear something that either goes against your culture or isn't a way that your culture has done it, the temptation is to say that's wrong. Like mm-hmm. that is clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. It has it, it's wrong to to what I've been raised. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's wrong or uh, or not relevant. You know what I mean? Or it's I mean that's that's something that's way different and has no bearing. And I don't even know what these people were thinking. Mm-hmm. So I guess we I think as people who approach the Bible, um, if you're a Christian and you're approaching the Bible, I think you need to understand that you are in a far different context, both culturally, probably geographically, just a a far different context from the biblical authors. And so I think there just needs to be a little bit of almost humility and saying, I don't, I probably don't understand this all the way. I don't think that it's unapproachable. I'm a big proponent of, I think the old lady who prays every day beside her bed and has never had an ounce of biblical training i think she can have faith way bigger than like the best bible scholar so like i'm not i'm not equating this to like maturity and faith mm-hmm. 
I'm just saying when it comes to making exclusive claims on biblical interpretation, I think, uh, yeah, I think we need to understand that we come from a certain context mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily easy to pull back the layers to yeah. actually get to what's underneath. Yeah. Uh, so I guess one of the we talked about misconceptions and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the biggest uh, I don't know, things that confuse I feel like both Christians and non-Christians, and this goes back to the thing where Christians kind of entrench and try to explain things, whereas non-Christians just dismiss, you know, because it's ridiculous. Uh, but that's the the word inerrancy. Mm-hmm. So I think one, like I said, there's a lot of misunderstanding in the Christian community and also in the non-Christian community um, and obviously they react to that differently. Mm-hmm. Well, so I guess for for those listeners who aren't familiar with the term or never really thought about yeah. it, how like let's put out a definition of inerrancy, right? right? So I guess the basic idea of it is that the Bible is what free of error yeah. in all that it teaches. I think so in terms of inerrancy one thing that we got to get straight out of, we have to state straight out of the gate that's a phrase right yeah i think so straight out of the gate <laughs> is that it's not a belief in the doctrine of inerrancy isn't required for salvation right right so we're not saying right. some people that are listening to this aren't saved right. there's actually multiple different views of scripture mm-hmm. yeah that christians hold right they run the gambit yeah gambit I always mess that one up. (laughs) So it's not required for salvation. Sometimes it's treated like it is, but it's not. right. But it is important to talk about. Um, So one of the things that kind of pops into people's minds is that, yeah, the the question of accuracy Mm -hmm. then, right? Because scripture is an errant, like we claim it is, then it must not have any discrepancies at all or errors even right um but the term inerrancy i think or i know comes with a lot of a lot of us talking about uh with you the other day it comes with a lot of asterisks mm-hmm. that i don't think um i don't think the majority of christians right are aware of or even think about right so stuff like free quotations where you know jesus is quoting a portion of scripture but it's not word for word mm-hmm. like it was in the original mm-hmm. text mm-hmm. right um but that's still considered a a quotation right or even conflated numbers mm-hmm. um and statistics and and whatnot or gaps in whole genealogical lines right which we would say it's presenting it as if like with the genealogies thing like it's presenting it as if he was his son and clearly he's not why mm-hmm. are they doing that you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. but it's like we said, it's a different culture and it's a right. different literary style. Right. So conflated numbers, like in the book of numbers, um, you know, with the millions of people thing, which just probably isn't the case. Like that and the genealogies, like they're they're there to convey a meaning. So instead mm-hmm. of saying either that's either true, like, you know, that's true and it's definitely true because the Bible mm-hmm. says it is, or that's false and yeah. clearly the Bible doesn't know what it's saying. Yeah. It's like, well, let's just, let's just take a step back have a little bit of nuance yeah. and like 
what is the author trying right. to say by yeah. by using these things? I think the problem comes when we focus on something that the author isn't trying to focus on. Right. Right. So we're reading mm. he we're reading and writing past each other. Right. I guess the the fault is more on our end on the reader side. Right. The more than anything. But yeah, we 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 hone in on a certain part of it or a certain way of reading the biblical account and we put blinders on ourselves and that's really the big thing right uh, really the big issue well i would say i mean that i mean maybe i'll put some people off on this but that like that happens a lot of times with like scientific claims right mm -hmm. so like if we take the book of genesis i'm just gonna go for it um if we take the book of genesis and we read it in a western i'm reading a history and science textbook mindset then we would say it must be six days it says six days mm -hmm. so that's that's what happened clearly the bible wrote it or clearly the bible says this and so that's what it must mean the thing is like we said there's different literary styles back then so science it speaks to a different a different type of thing than say like the bible does because obviously mm -hmm. science is a good way to measure like physical reality mm -hmm. um whether that be in the past or what's coming in the future movement of the stars mm -hmm. also just like atoms and yeah. things it answers a different question right right and it's great um yeah it's really great um so obviously they're they're speaking to different things but but it's not to say that science can't like help us even when we're trying to look at things right so for instance i mean i know this has been used a lot but the biblical concept of the firmament mm -hmm. which is basically how how they understood cosmology back then mm -hmm. which is totally totally cool basically what it was is you got the ground um which is on pillars and then there's a big dome with holes poked in it which at night are stars and in the daytime there's water above not always in the daytime but when it rains there's water above and they fall through right. the little holes in the firmament mm -hmm. so obviously we know through science and just technology and mm -hmm actually going to space that that that's obviously not the way that cosmology is that's mm -hmm. clearly not what reality is yeah. um so when we look at that now and we see firmament we don't think oh that must be scientific fact that i'm reading mm -hmm. in the bible it's oh that's you know that's how they understood cosmology back then and you know it's not really the point of what's being written right. it's just you know it's that's that's how yeah. they understood yeah. cosmology back. it was the context from from which they were writing right Right. So we read from a different context and people write from a different context to a different context in a different context. So there are just multiple contexts right. here. So that's so when the Bible's talking about firmament or even even let's take the historical narratives, right? God and Moses meeting on Mount Sinai. That was because they literally thought deities lived on mountains. Mm. Who in who, you know, who scaled mountains? Nobody. Right. And so for them, that was unknown. Obviously, like the firmament and the sky was even more unknown for them. They didn't have planes. Right. But I would just, I'm just trying to bring it down even closer to right. Earth. The mountain itself was an unknown to them. Right. So for God to meet Moses in Exodus on Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. that would have spoken to their idea of deity. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, oh, wow, this God who's calling us out of Egypt and brought us out of Egypt is meeting us where we th where we automatically assume gods already live. Mm. So, it, so inerrancy, 
a good definition of inerrancy has to make room for that. Right. Right. That sort of thing. Right. Exactly. Because that happens all over the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Even like with, so like with Genesis, like Genesis, a lot of times, like, so the creation account is what I'm specifically talking about. Mm-hmm. Is it, a and lot it, of it is. It, it, that's a big thing. Right. It's right, a, in the conversations of inerrancy and right. authority. The thing is like, even that doesn't need to, you don't have to scientifically be a young earth creationist person to like i guess to hold the definition that we're going to use about like biblical inerrancy and that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, just because um well it's literary style right so the the creation account is speaking to other creation myths of the time they mm-hmm. have like a lot of similarities yeah. the epic of gilgamesh like uh but there's there's very intentional differences about the creation account mm-hmm. that tells you about God. Yeah. So obviously God didn't, uh, he didn't create like creation out of like a dead foe that he had right. just like defeated or, right. you know what I mean? Right. Or, Inuma you know, Elish. Th- huh? the, you know, Elish, the right. Babylonian, right. Babylonian creation myth basically gives that exact right. sort of thing where is it Tiamat gets destroyed and mm-hmm. out of the splitting up of her body, right. There, the earth and the sky yeah. are created. Whereas in Genesis, like you were saying, God just spoke, spoke it. it into existence. Yeah. And that's the thing, like when it talks about his spirit hovered over the face of the waters back then waters is just synonymous mm-hmm. of chaos, disorder, right. um, unknown. Mm-hmm. So like, I know there's been full like theologies written about like, was the earth just water? Was there water before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like all these questions. And it's like, right. that's not like the author of Genesis could care less about your right. scientific questions. There, yeah. It's not to say that they're bad questions. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't care. And he's not right. addressing those. Yeah. He's addressing the questions of his time mm-hmm. um, and talking to the, you know, the, his own contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if, if we take, if I'm just going to keep going off of Genesis now, right. If we take, Genesis to be part of a larger body of literature called the Torah, all written by one person, Moses. Mm-hmm. I think I talked to you about this, but Moses bringing people, the Israelites, out of 200 years of slavery in Egypt would have been tasked essentially with um, with cultural reformation, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way. Mm-hmm. 200 years of slavery is going to do something to your, to your worldview. Mm-hmm. You've got this people who are worshiping multiple gods, the Egyptians, mm-hmm. and now you're being called out of that and being freed from that after having seen this one prophet, Moses, claiming mm-hmm. to serve one God, destroy and wipe out all the supposed mm-hmm. gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so you're left thinking, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Right? So my my, my view of, of the first five books of the Bible is Moses reshaping the minds of these people who have been trapped in slavery for 200 years. So when he presents the creation account in Genesis, Mm -hmm. it's speaking to other creation accounts that they would have been familiar with. Mm -hmm. Babylonian creation accounts like the Enuma Elish, Mm -hmm. Egyptian creation accounts, Mm -hmm. and he's placing them over and above those creation accounts. Mm -hmm. So when people say that the, you know, Genesis one is so similar to other creation myths, a lot of Christians would say, no, it's not blah, blah, blah. Right. And I would say, yes, it is. That's the point. Right. Right. Christians get up in arms because they read it as a, as a scientific, um, scientific retelling right. of the creation of the world, as opposed to, and I might 
step on some toes here as opposed to a myth. Right. And I'm not talking about mythology. I'm talking about a way of explaining things and a way of viewing the world through story. Mm -hmm. And a way of describing the past that has implications for the future. Yeah. Like a lot of Genesis is written um, and has allusions towards what the Israelites will encounter, mm -hmm. like in the land of Canaan and that kind yeah. of a thing. So it's it's not to say, well, that's... So someone might ask, you know, so does that mean that the stories aren't true? Right. Like, are you advocating for a low view of scripture? Mm. And I guess I would say you're, that's like the wrong question. And I would mm -hmm. say like our view that we were, we are taking on this podcast is actually more of a high view mm -hmm. because it's focusing on the text right. rather like focusing on what the text says right. rather than the events behind yeah. the text. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of a different conversation, mm -hmm. but um, Sal Hammer, who uh, John Sailhammer, yeah. yeah. He wrote a book called the, uh, so what is it? Pentateuch, Pentateuch as narrative. narrative, yeah. And uh, kind of what he proposes is that revelation from God, it, it doesn't have to do with the events. It's actually, you know, the text. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there's different views on this, but that's what I would propose is that, like, I want to know what the biblical author is trying to say, mm -hmm. not what was what was happening you know, behind, right. as, as you know, as right. I said, behind the text. Like that doesn't, to me, that that, that doesn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. What I want to know is what is the author trying to tell me right. about God? Like, mm -hmm. what is he teaching me? Um, like, like in the actual mm -hmm. text rather yeah. than do we need to yeah. pinpoint how accurate the, right. the you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause the, the event is great. Right. 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 If, if I could use an illustration, like reporters take pride on being objective reporters of just the facts mm -hmm. but an event without an interpretation is completely meaningless mm -hmm. without someone to interpret it mm -hmm. right so as great as an event is and as as necessary as i think it was mm -hmm. right even more important than that is the interpretation of that event and specifically the written account of the interpretation of that event mm -hmm. because for us separated by thousands of years that's all we've got mm -hmm. and god in his in his providence saw to it that an interpretation of that event was written down mm -hmm. if i can speak into more of a christian you right. know sphere here right but that i don't know to me i'm seeing that as <laughs> i'm seeing that as yeah it's even more important mm -hmm. because not only are we told of the event, but we're told why this is important. So that was part one of the Bible Tells Me So a discussion that we had back in season zero, which again, feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> it's honestly interesting to hear myself talk. Yeah. It's tough at times. <laughs> Let's, can we just address the, the difference in audio quality and truly all that production stuff? We've I don't, come a long I don't know. Way. Maybe it's not much better. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that up to you. Yeah, listeners, the listener to has to decide. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, let's maybe we can just dive into what we thought about ourselves, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. <laughs> totally. Um, 
um, one note that I would say is like particularly with our discussion about um, inerrancy, which I think was a pretty vital part of the discussion and is a pretty important one to have um, in in the broader topic that we addressed. But we probably could have gone more in depth about the other ways that inerrancy is defined. Sure. Because we kind of skirt around the topic or the skirt around the idea that there's still a lot of debate as to how to define inerrancy. Um, sure. And scholars agree on parts of some definitions, but not on other parts. Uh, sure. We probably could have actually explicitly made those varying definitions. Like so, we could have actually said them. Yeah. So we'll do you know, some of that more, you know, the definitions and kind of getting into the nitty gritty in the actual podcast episodes uh, when we get there. But we just wanted to let you know, um, you know, kind of our loose definition, which was, you know, something like everything that the Bible affirms is true or something like that. Um, Yeah, there are kind of different ways to look at that. So yeah, we'll get into that in the actual season. Mm -hmm. One other thing from this first part of that episode um, that I thought we might have been able to nuance a little bit better was the assumption of the final formation of the Pentateuch. Um, I think we were coming at it, or at least I was maybe at that point, with the assumption that it was finalized during the time or near the time of Moses. Uh, Probably didn't um, nuance it well enough to include other possibilities of, you know, later writing and final formation, even like in the, during the exile or post-exile. There's still a lot totally. of discussion in biblical scholarship about totally. when the final form of the Pentateuch was mm. actually, yeah. I guess, finalized. Totally. And at least there's a lot of scholars who will say, or they'll look at the Pentateuch and say, a lot of this seems to be shaped with like an exilic audience in mind, mm-hmm. you know, with yeah. just the Israelites after the exile has already happened. Right. Um, Very much t- trying to reshape the identity and the the, the national ethos and and the way um, the, the like the cultural mindset of this of this people group who totally. you know if we take a, a later exilic or even post exilic date and by exilic and post exilic I mean like during the time of the exile in 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 Babylon uh, or yes. you know post exilic meaning by the time that the Israelites returned to Israel uh, to their homeland. Um, that's what I mean by that. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. There's still a lot of discussion there, and it makes sense why scholars still are debating those questions, right? Because sure. it makes, like the like the like the portions of Genesis where it's not just interacting with um, common creation myths, but again, kind of in uh, they're in discussion with already circulating and already established creation myths. Sure. Well, why does it? Why does it do that? It makes sense in the context of an exile or a post-exilic community where people are trying to find their identity outside of the exilic context in which they've been living in. Sure. Well, it's kind of like, you know, they're coming out of Egypt. Why does a lot of their stories, you know, maybe look similar or like share characteristics with like Babylonian literature Mm -hmm. when, you know, they haven't encountered them, you know, according to the narrative yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whereas... Obviously, if it's exilic, they've been living in Babylon, stewing in the culture there. So anyway. And we'll be getting into kind of those kinds of questions and parts of those discussions too later on um, in the the Bible Tells Me So Revisited series that we'll be doing to start off season four. Absolutely. 
so that was that was just part one of the Bible Tells Me So uh, re-release. Uh, our next episode that we'll be releasing will be the second part of that discussion, and we'll do the same thing that we did for this episode, kind of setting it up uh, for you, kind of give you some context, and then maybe offer some um, points of agreement, disagreement, maybe nuance that, that we think uh, bear pointing out. Um, yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Yeah, and if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. Uh, you can find us just at www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. And if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, like always, please comment and ask questions. Leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Thank you.